Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not, that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, you will build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock, he gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. And the second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. It's on page 1202 in the Pew Bibles. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight." For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. 
but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Roger, if you haven't met me before. I'm one of the ministers here. I get to preach on this passage. Woohoo! Wow. Bit scary, really. Um, how about I pray and uh, we think about it together and um, think about God's word together. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the privilege we have of gathering here this evening and we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to really consider things that are quite difficult. And we pray that as we do, that you would give us uh, ears to hear, that our lives might be shaped by you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently, uh, Jane and I had the opportunity to travel overseas. Uh, it was a really good thing. I love travelling. And one of the things I love about travelling is the opportunity to um, see different cultures. Um, so we were sitting in Dubai uh, at the airport there. We had about five hours to kill. And so we're sitting there just observing people. So over in one corner is this couple, uh, sort of European origin, and um, they're just all over each other you know like it looked like they might have been on their honeymoon or something like that and they were just kissing and cuddling it's like oh please you know stop it a little bit further over in another seat was 10 women all dressed in complete black with only their eyes showing and a man in the center now at first jane and i were thinking about this and we thought well maybe that's that's his harem but then we realised, actually, in, in many of these countries where women are dressed like this, they, they actually have to travel with a man. They have to travel with a real relative, otherwise they might be considered loose. Uh, and so, uh, clearly, it probably wasn't a harem, but it was a group of people who were going places with the one man. Now, of course, that raises all kinds of interesting questions, doesn't it? But it does tell us something about who we are and the way that we work, and, and that is that that we're very shaped by our culture, um, we're very shaped by our history, we're very shaped by where we've come from, uh, and that in, impacts the way we live together, uh, we live in relationship with one another, we live in community together, we live as husbands and wives together. It, it, it affects all kinds of different things. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is written to a scattered group of Christians in Turkey. And they're, they're called resident aliens. And Peter is trying to address them in the midst of this culture, in the midst of this time when they're probably being persecuted because of their Christian, or we know they're being persecuted because of their Christian beliefs. And he's trying to address them in such a way that helps them understand what it means to live in a counter-cultural way. Because in any age, Christians are called to live in a counter-cultural way. Now, I recognise tonight as we speak about these things, if you're someone who's exploring Christian uh, Christianity and who Jesus is, you might find some of these concepts and the things that we're talking about kind of like, really? Really? Uh, you may not agree in the end, but I just hope to be able to persuade you at the very least that Christians are acting with love and care towards one another rather than being something else, being nasty or something like that. Uh, for some of you who are Christians, I'm guessing that also some of these things may be quite difficult to come at as well. 
And that's because actually the Bible speaks into every culture and every time and continues to suggest that actually the way that we live is not consistent with how God would have us live. So the Bible's always going to rub us up the wrong way. It's always going to challenge our way of thinking. It's always going to say, hey, I want to call you to a different style of life. And what's interesting about that is that some of the things that affect us now wouldn't have affected the people this letter was first written to. And yet, there are things that affect us both. Different times, different cultures, the Bible is always going to push us and shape us and make us think. And of course, it's worth remembering what Augustine says, um, if we can click on. So the quote that, that I'm trying to get up on the screen here is the quote that you can see right at the top of, yours, at the, top of the sheets that we've handed out. Uh, whoops. Went too far. Okay. Whoa. There, there we go. We're, we're back. We're back. So the point being, of course, that if you cut bits out of the gospel, if you cut bits out of the Bible um, and reject those bits that you don't like, uh, it's not the gospel you believe in the end, it's yourself. And so we've got to keep constantly coming up to God's word and bumping against it and saying, okay, why is this so difficult to believe? What do I need to change about uh, what I believe? Having said that, I also recognize that I'm a 50-year-old man and some of these things sound like really like ancient and like I came from the 50s. Um, I'm conscious of that as well as we speak. But hey, let's put all that aside and see what God's word has to say at this point. It's calling us to live as resident aliens. And as resident aliens, Peter has something to say to people who are married, but also to our community as well. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time unpacking what it means to be wives and husbands, but also then think about our community life together as well. So come with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 and let's see what it has to say. Wives are called to submit. Now, I'm going to deal with that submission bit at the end of this little section, but come with me to the, 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 the initial verses in chapter 3. It says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, Peter's speaking into a particular circumstance. Uh, it's clear that a wife is married to a husband who's not a Christian. The husband has heard the word, he's heard the gospel, he's heard about Jesus, but he doesn't believe the word. And so the wife is here being instructed as to how to behave in those circumstances, uh, in what are actually quite difficult circumstances. What Peter is doing here, though, is actually quite subversive. First of all, he's speaking to wives. Now, this is uh, it's difficult for us to imagine uh, in our society, but in a patriarchal society that he was writing to, you didn't speak to wives. You spoke to their husbands who spoke to their wives. He's, he's speaking to wives. He's actually saying women are intelligent. You can have a conversation with them. I'm going to address them directly. He's actually giving them a status that they didn't have. And he's respecting that status. Secondly, 
it's obvious from what he's saying that he expects that the wife may have a different religion to her husband. Now, that was virtually unheard of. Uh, These are some instructions that were given to a bride uh, in terms of getting married. A wife ought not to make friends of her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. The gods are the first and most important friends. Wherefore, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in. Patriarchal society, husband's rule, determine who your friends are, but also determine which god you worship. And here in 1 Peter, Peter's saying, actually, you have the freedom because you belong to Christ, because you're understanding what he's done for you, to continue to be a daughter, a child of God. This, this is subversive material. It may not sound like it to our ears, but to those who first heard it, this is radical. This is very, very different. This is actually saying women have a place. And it's a significant place. Now, as Peter continues to think about how they might live in, in a situation where they have a separate, uh, they're worshipping a separate God, he wants to instruct them as to how to behave, how to think about uh, those circumstances. And he says, live your life with purity and reverent fear. And he, we can see that developed in, in the following passage in chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. Now, there's a couple of hiccups here. We'll deal with them as well as we go through. But notice what it says. Your beauty should not come from your outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I'm not going to comment on women's clothing at this point. Uh, I think that's far too dangerous for me to be doing. But I think I'd like to kind of explain it a little bit. Um, it's, it's possible that one of the reasons that Peter is writing this is because women who dressed up like this uh, and went out by themselves were seen as being kind of available. Um, and if they were going off to church, for example, and their husband already didn't agree with them leaving the home to go to church, they were actually, well, it would actually make them, put them into conflict with their husbands even more so. And so one of the reasons may be that he's just saying, be modest. Don't draw attention to yourself because you're already in a difficult situation. Please, do, please be modest about the way you go about things. But perhaps more importantly, he's saying, actually, the way to win your husband over is to develop this inner life. This inner life which is rich and beautiful. And I think that actually speaks into any culture. I mean, our culture is obsessed with beauty too, isn't it? And we know that it's fading. And Peter's saying here, actually, don't invest all your time in doing that. Invest your time in that of your inner self. A gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, the opposite to a gentle and quiet spirit is a grumbly spirit, a a argumentative spirit, a, a spirit that's driven to conflict. 
And I think he's saying, don't act that way. You, yes, you are in, in very difficult circumstances. But actually, cultivate a gentle spirit. A quiet, and I don't think it means that women shouldn't be strong and have their opinions and all that kind of thing. It's a careful holding of those things. It's a, it's a way of proceeding, a way of speaking. I guess it might be tempting for a wife in this situation to complain about their husband regularly. And certainly I've, I've heard that in various circumstances and sometimes there's good reason to. Um, but sometimes there's this culture that develops in, in various circumstances where um, wives get together. I, I only know this because I've overheard it or I've been told. So. Um, and it's just kind of like they snipe at their husbands. It's kind of like my husband's, you know, etc., etc. And it's kind of just goes on and on and on. And I think what Peter's saying is don't be like that. Now, it may be that you need to offload about your husband and that might be entirely appropriate and I think it's quite right that you should find someone to do that with, but it's this constant sniping and grumbling that I, I think he's actually referring to here. But most importantly, he's saying cultivate in your life a deep spiritual life. I don't think he's saying you can't go out and get dressed up and have a good night out. I mean, some Christians have actually taken it this way, can I say. I can remember uh, I was going to a to apply for a, a Bible college once and um, I, it was an interesting Bible college in Sydney somewhere. And as I arrived, I kind of thought, oh, well, I'll say hi to the students who are here. And I went up to shake the hands of one of the women who was uh, there as a student. And she looked at one of the guys there who wasn't her husband or anyone in particular and said, can I shake his hand? What? I'm not coming here. The point being, they were very, very rigid about all of this kind of thing. And I don't think that's what Peter's getting at here. I think he's trying to, he's trying to, to help us see the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, having said that this is the way to win your husband over, he then takes a very interesting turn and one I'm not sure that I completely understand. Um, the truth is that women who were in this circumstance would not have had many role models uh, to look up to. It was a new uh, time. Uh, they were learning what it meant to be a Christian in their circumstances. Um, and also the truth is that, that Peter has been trying to show us how the Old Testament links with the New Testament all the time. You can even see it with the psalm that um, we've been using today. He has in the background all this Old Testament uh, knowledge and understanding going on. And so here he also links uh, this passage with things in the Old Testament. He says this, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, so you can see the idea of it's continuing. You are her daughters. That's there. The bit about called him your master is actually really odd. People try and track it down. The words are actually not the same. Uh, in the New Testament is the Old Testament. And and people could sort of track it down to Genesis chapter 18, verse 2. But even there, it's a little bit odd. And, and it's just a bit hard to work out what Peter is actually doing at this point. I guess what is noticeable is that it seems like Peter is saying this idea of submission and, if you like, headship is actually a pattern that goes throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
He's asking people to look at the women of the past who were submissive to their own husbands. And so that I think he's, he's saying that pattern's okay. Now, he's not filling it with all the things we like to fill it with, but he's saying, actually, that's a pattern that should continue. And I think the best thing to see here is he's saying, actually, look at those women in the Old Testament. Look at the examples of their faithfulness in what they do. Follow their examples and their faithfulness as you live out your life. Okay, I said I'd get back to that idea of submission. First of all, the thing to note about all of this is that submission here is not about putting yourself in a place that's so vulnerable that you're abused. The Bible is not committed to men abusing women at all. If sadly you find yourself in that situation, you need to get help and you need to ask for help. There are circumstances where the covenant of marriage is broken and you're no longer called to be submissive to your husbands in that way. Get out, get some help, get support. The second thing to note is that this is a freedom to submit. Nowhere in the Bible does it call men to ask their wives to submit. This is a wife's choice. Men, you're not to say to your wives, you must submit. You're not called to do that. You're called to do something else, as we'll see in a moment. And the third thing you might notice about this submission is there's not actually a lot of detail. And that's consistent with the way the Bible talks about submission. It doesn't fill it out with a whole lot of detail because in actual fact it's going to be different in different cultures and different times and different spaces. It's more about an attitude and a way of acting and a way of being. And it will express itself in different ways within the marriage context. And that's the last thing I want to note about submission and that is it's in the marriage context. It's about husbands and wives. That's, that's where it's taking place. Feel free to come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to keep talking to you about this. It's, it's a you know, minefield, as you know. Um, but also, I think it's something that we need to hear as a culture, as a people. Well, if we're living as resident aliens as wives, what about husbands? Husbands, uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says... In the same way, be considerate, or actually the words knowledgeable, as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect or honour as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, automatically, the red flag for us is the weaker partner. Um, For the people who was written to, I didn't think anything of it, I don't think. Um, I think it's really talking about the idea of physical strength, Um, And I think we shouldn't make too much of it. I don't think Peter was trying to say uh, that women are less valuable or not as important. In fact, he's shown that he's not in terms of the way he's been speaking to them. So I think we can leave that aside without making a big thing about it. Just recognise that it's to do with physical weakness. I mean, it's not every woman who's physically weaker than a man, of course. I suspect there's some of you here who could take me on an arm, wrestle and beat me. You know, know, that's fine. It's okay. It's kind of talking in general categories here. Okay, but this comes to husbands who are patriarchal. Now, this is extraordinary. 
This is so counterculture. All of a sudden, husbands, who are used to being kind of self-centered and looking after themselves and making sure their wives did certain things for themselves and all that kind of thing, are being told to be knowledgeable about their wives, to treat them with honor. Um, there's a whole honor-shame category going on here and, and he's being told to treat them respectively and with honour, which is something they wouldn't have done in the same way previously. And they're to treat them in this way because they are co-heirs of the gracious gift of life. Women in that day and age weren't heirs, generally speaking. And Peter's reminding them, actually, you're co-heirs. You're heirs together with the gracious gift of God, with that inheritance that is kept for you that won't perish, spoil or fade. This is radical stuff. Husbands are asked to make, being asked to make huge changes to the way they act and behave towards their wives. Now, as that speaks into our culture, uh, we have a culture that's very mixed up about males' roles and who males are in marriages. We've kind of grown up with Homer Simpson, who's stunted emotionally, stunted relationally, stunted in, in almost every way, except verbally, keeps going on and on. And that kind of culture actually produces in males a kind of sense of being inadequate, a sense of not being able to to act relationally, emotionally, a kind of fear that they may not be able to engage people well and that, you know, those ads that constantly put down guys and make them out to be idiots? Well, over a period of time, that actually has an impact on guys. They start acting like idiots. This passage is calling males in, 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 in relationships to, to act very differently, to act responsibly, to take notice of their wives, to honour their wives, to be thoughtful and engaging, to be emotionally mature in the way that they engage things. Now, I... this takes some learning, particularly if you've been brought up with this culture and, and this is something that you've lived and breathed. So I want to suggest to you actually three books, which I think are good for everybody, but helpful for males in particular. This book on the meaning of marriage. If you want to sort out what you're thinking about marriage, whether you're single or married, this is an excellent book. Uh, I've been married almost 30 years, and I think this is the best book I've seen yet. Very, very helpful uh, in thinking about marriage and the way to approach marriage. So whether you're single or married, very useful book. The Five Languages of Love, well, it's a bit of pop psychology, um, which basically talks about the idea that, actually, if you want to be knowledgeable about your wife, for example, you need to understand that the way to love her might be different to the way you experience love. I'll give you an example of it. It took me 15 years to work out, this is how thick I am, 15 years to work out that my wife doesn't particularly like surprises. It finally came home to me when one weekend, when our kids were small, I'd organised for my mother-in-law to come down from the Central Coast to come and look after our kids for the weekend. I hadn't told Jane any of this. 
and I'd organised it for us to go and stay in a nice hotel in town. Mother-in-law arrives. Surprise! Guess what we're doing this weekend? Jane goes, what? It wasn't a very pleasant weekend. Now, for some wives, they would have gone, yes! Wow, that's so exciting. But actually, that's not the way Jane ticks. And it took me a while to kind of work that out and work out she doesn't tick that way. I've got to find out that she actually likes time. Spending time just talking and chatting and those kind of things. So if I'm going to love her, that's what I need to do. That's what it means to be knowledgeable about her. Now, guys, you could do some learning about this, can I say? Uh, Even with women, even if you're not married, you could do some learning here. Uh, Because sometimes guys are making terrible mistakes when they're trying to court other people. They just stuff it up. Kind of learn something here. Um, Grow Yourself Up is actually another fairly useful book and it talks about, I guess, developing an emotional richness within your life. And it does it in certain ways by thinking about who you are and and understanding what stage of life you're at and trying to understand how you can grow more and more. Now, it's good for men and women, but I'm saying, guys, if you want to have an emotionally rich life, if you want to kind of work out what it means to relate responsibly to other people, Take responsibility for the way you feel and the way you act. Not expect your partner or your wife or your girlfriend or your wife to kind of fill all your desires. Well, get a hold of a book like this and start thinking it through. and Start thinking about what, how that works within your own life. We need some help here. And I want to suggest you, please, grab some help. Okay, that's husbands and wives. Enough said. I know not all of you are husbands and wives, so let's move on to thinking about things in a broader category. What does it mean for us to live as resident aliens in community? Now, once again, Peter wants to stun us, wants to change things, wants to subvert the way we think about things. And he says, finally, all of you are to be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from the deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are attentive to their to to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As Peter addresses this last uh, bit that we will look at this evening, he says to all of you. Now that is an astounding statement in itself. He was speaking to a group of people who are used to status, used to being divided, slaves and owners being in different categories, men and women being in different categories, people with wealth, people who were poor, all kinds of different categories that people lived in. And he's saying, actually, in Christ you're all the same. So, all of you, doesn't matter what status you have in society, doesn't matter what people think of you out there, doesn't matter about your background, whether you're a male or female, I want to speak to you as a community, as a new community. Now, this, this would have turned people's worlds upside down. A world which was made up of families and marriages and status. All of a sudden, 
It was all okay to belong to a community of people where it didn't matter whether you were single or married. It didn't matter whether you were male or female. It didn't matter whether you were slave or free or rich or poor. Because of what Christ had done for you, you belonged. You were part of the community. And you were a valuable part of the community because Christ had died for you. And out of that deep, rich well of grace, he says, finally, all of you, be like-minded. Have a common goal. Aim in the same direction. Be sympathetic. The word there is kind of have mercy. Be generous to those who are weak and distressed. Comfort them. Love one another. Um, that's the, actually the term there is to do with brotherly and sisterly love. It's, it's actually like he's saying, this is a new family. And you, you belong. Have compassion. It actually means have healthy entrails. Um, it means love from the heart is the way we would put it. Love deeply and richly from the heart. And then have humility. Now, of course, in, in that context, humility was seen as a weakness. Strength was valued, not humility. But here, Peter is saying, in this new community, this community formed around Christ, we are to hold our power in the service of others. That's what humility means. Holding our power in the service of others. And so what Peter envisages here is a rich, generous, kind, loving, wonderful community that's come about because of what Jesus has done. One rich with relationships and friendships and love. And that's the kind of community he's actually calling it. That's the kind of community we're called to be. To be subversive in the way that we live together. Now that, that, that has huge implications for us. It means that we can't possibly do this on an hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday night. It means that we need deep and rich friendships, not only here on a Sunday night, but elsewhere. In our small groups, during the week as we meet together, as we have meals together, as we have clusters together. We're meant to develop these rich and wonderful relationships with one another. The other thing it means is it means something about friendship. One of the things about this church that I really, really like is that it's a friendly place. Uh, time and time again, as people come through the front door, uh, people say, wow, this is friendly. I, I got greeted. It's really nice. But you know, the reality is that when people come through the front door and visit us, they're not looking just for a friendly church. They're actually looking for friends. They're looking for a deep, rich belonging and intertwining into our lives and being included this idea of being like-minded, of being loving one another, of being compassionate, of being humble. They're looking to, to belong to that. Now, it's interesting where Peter goes after that. 
Because what he says next could either be related to the way that we, we work together, and I think there's some of that, but it also could be related to the way we deal with those outside. And I, I think it's, it's a way of saying, actually, we'll have deep and rich friendships, we'll have deep and rich community life together, but we will always remain open to more. Let me show you. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Do you see the kind of openness there? If you play evil, repay evil for evil, what happens is you cut the relationship off. But Peter is saying here is don't cut the relationship off. Constantly keep the relationship open. Don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Make sure you're a blessing to other people. And he goes on to quote from Psalm 34. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. These are all things about openness to more relationships, openness to developing relationships, persistence despite the fact that there may be persecution, persistence despite the fact that people may misunderstand what this community is all about, persistence in light of what God's done for us because he goes on to say, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do, does, do evil. He says in the end, trust me. I'll look after all the things that go wrong. I'll look after the persecution. Just entrust yourself to me as my people. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the fact that it does challenge us in all kinds of ways. We pray that as we um, continue to think about these things this week, that you would help us... Let our lives be shaped by you. We pray that we as a church will be shaped by your words. To your praise and glory. Amen.